In this episode of The Grazer's Grapevine, Capital RC&D Grazing Advisor Donna Folk talks with Dr. Linda Quotamine, DVM, about parasites and parasite control in the equine industry. My name's Donna Folk. Um, I've been involved in the horse industry for about 40 years. I have my own farm. Um, I've worked for Penn State uh, two separate times and for Rutgers, primarily working with horses, management, toxic plants, pastures, parasites, nutrition, um, and loved every minute of it. So, and I'd like to introduce to you um, one of my favorite all-time veterinarians, Dr. Q, who's gonna introduce herself. Hi, my name is Dr. Linda Quotamine, but I have been known as Dr. Q for the last 34 years. Um, I have been a veterinarian for those 34 years, but have pretty much, um, confine my practice to just equine for the last 22 years. Uh, I have a clinic in Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, we do a lot of breeding work. And so especially with breeding horses, parasite control and pasture management is very, very important. So the reason we're doing this podcast is because the tradition in the horse industry is very hard to overcome. And the way we did things 30, 40 years ago is now very much antiquated. Uh, there are new species of parasites and new dewormers that are vastly different than what we had back then. Um, but this information is not widespread and known very well in the lay population. I have so many clients that still do things the way their daddy did and their granddaddy did. So we're gonna to present to you some information, just some basic information about types of parasites, the types of dewormers that are available, and primarily the concept of resistance in these parasites, because that's one thing that most people are not acutely aware of, and yet it is vital to know to have an effective parasite control program on your farm. So I'm going to ask Donna if she'll just talk a little bit about a recent uh, Penn State research study that was conducted here in Pennsylvania and how that panned out. Go ahead, Donna. Okay, thanks, Dr. Q. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and how naive I was as a horse owner. Um, I had horses, like I said, for 40 years. I lived through the development of ivermectin and Panicure and a whole host of new dewormers that were developed. I thought I was being a really, really good horse owner and farm manager because when the recommendations were to deworm horses every six to eight weeks and rotate, I wanted to be better than that. So I actually dewormed my horses every four to six weeks, not realizing at the time that I was paving the way for resistance to develop on my farm. Well, I told you previously that I did work for Penn State in the equine industry and our state veterinarian that works with the Penn State quarter horse herd, Dr. Ed, had told me one day about a project they had at Penn State where they were doing fecal egg counts on all the horses on the farm once or twice a year. They were documenting the egg shedding in all those horses and limiting their deworming efforts to just those horses that were high shedders. And he got me intrigued and I thought, well, if they can do that with all the horses they have there, I can do it with my 15 horses on my farm. But again, thinking I'd done a really good job with my deworming program, I didn't expect to see any egg shedding. Boy, was I in for a surprise. So I did fecal egg counts on the horses on my farm and found that 
Um, I had two high shedders, which is what you normally find. About 20% of the horses on the farm are high shedders. I wanted to see if um, Strongid was working. I'm sure it was going to work. I dewormed the high shedders with Strongid, and it really didn't have an impact on the shedding of the eggs. So that product is no longer available to, for me to use as a dewormer on my farm. Followed it up with Panicure to try that class of dewormers, found that not, it didn't work on any of the high shedders on my farm. It really opened my eyes and I thought, wow, we need to get more horse owners actively involved in doing fecals on their horses and then interpreting the results and targeting their deworming efforts to horses that need it with products that work. So we wrote a grant and the grant allowed us to purchase microscopes and all the materials that we need to do fecal egg counts. We had an educational program throughout the state of Pennsylvania, ran many of these. People that attended those were asked to be our farm partners. And what they were required to do is bring bags of manure from every horse on their farm for, to a predetermined site where we had microscopes and everything that they needed to do fecal egg counts. And I'll tell you what, they were wonderful. They all stayed with the program. They bought their bags of manure. The, when they determined which were their high shedders, they would come back and pick up a product to deworm their horses with, and then come back and determine whether or not that product would work. And it was very interesting. We had 74 farms involved in the research project. 711 horses were checked to see which were high shedders and low shedders, and were checked to see which products are working. All right, so throughout the course of this podcast, I'll share with you some of the results of that study because it was wonderful. And uh, at the end, I'll go over that in a little bit more detail. Now I'd like to turn it back to Dr. Q. Well, Donna, you mentioned the concept of high shedders and low shedders. And for those listening that might not understand what, that, what those terms mean, um, the shedding is classified into low, moderate, and high. Um, out of every 10 horses on the average, you'll have two that are low or non-shedders, two that are high shedders, and the rest of them fall in between somewhere in that moderate shedding uh, category. So the low shedders are ones that are passing on your fecal uh, count less than 200 eggs per gram. Uh, the high shedders are passing between 500 or more, is some, you know, sometimes up into thousands of eggs per gram, and the moderates are over 200, under 500, somewhere in that middle category. So that's how we decide um, in the big scheme of things, which horses we need to target for deworming. The only way you can know, because obviously parasite eggs are microscopic. You don't actually see parasites in the manure. They're microscopic eggs. And the only way is to do a fecal egg count. Uh, the only way to, to, to verify the eggs that are in there is to do the microscopic study. We've seen many horses that came off of the racetrack with high accolades, winners of big stake races, and they were polluted with parasites. So by looking at a horse, you cannot determine if they have parasites or not. They could be fat and sleek and happy and in show shape, or they can be, and those horses could be loaded with parasites. And conversely, I've seen many horses that come into the SPCA in very poor condition that many people would assume have a lot of parasites because they look poor, but they're totally non-shedders because they have to be grazing and picking up eggs off the ground 
to develop parasites. And so obviously many horses that end up at the SPCA or at the rescue shelters um, have not had proper nutrition. They haven't had access to pasture where they could even get infected. So the idea of automatically deworming a skinny horse by thinking they might have parasites is really not a, a, a good thing to do. Um, I think that's a really good point. Um, we Most of the parasites, it's, it's strange that we're deworming the horse when the vast majority of the parasites are actually in the pasture. And the horse isn't going to pick those up if he's not grazing on grass, if he's not out there grazing to pick up these eggs that can develop into these resistant parasites. So these fecal egg counts become really important. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about the types of parasites that we concern ourselves with nowadays. The old practice of deworming every eight weeks and rotating chemicals um, was based on the life cycle of the large strongyle. The large strongyle is all but extinct in today's uh, environments. We really don't see large strongyles uh, in any of our studies or during autopsies. Um, but the small strongyles have become the primary parasite in adult horses. So strongyles are what we are typically counting in a fecal egg count. That's the number one parasite we look for. But there's also ascarids, which are roundworms. And the roundworms are very, very important in young horses. Um, as horses get older, usually by the time they're two years of age, they develop a little bit of natural immunity. So we don't see roundworms in older horses very often unless they're immunocompromised by say an underlying disease like Cushing's or uh, Lyme disease, anything that's got them kind of beaten down. But the strongyles and ascarids are the two that are most common and the ones that we target when we're doing the fecal egg counts. Now there's also tapeworms and tapeworms can cause a lot of problems in horses, including a surgical colic, but the fecal egg counts don't always pick up tapeworm eggs because they're not passed consistently, like on a daily basis. So if we find tapeworm eggs on a fecal, we're just fortunate. The one thing we do know is that tapeworms come from a little mite that crawls through the pasture and about 70% of the pastures in the northeast part of the United States are infested with this mite. So we can assume that all horses in, in our part of the country that are grazing are most likely infected with at least some tapeworms, whether we see them on the fecal or not. Um, the last one that I think we should mention are threadworms. Now, threadworms are not a problem in adult horses, but uh, it, it can cause diarrhea in very young horses, babies, uh, sometimes as early as two or three weeks old if the mare is not dewormed when she foals. So that's one time I would recommend deworming a horse without necessarily running a fecal because you have to do it the day the baby's born. And just by giving a dose of ivermectin, <clears throat> you can prevent eggs from being passed to the baby in its milk. Um, did you want to talk about some of the types of dewormers, Donna? Um, the dewormers on the market today, primarily that most people are using, are ivermectin, moxidectin, um, pyranol, and the benzimidols. Like uh, you most most likely are using Panicure, I would say. And uh, like I said, in the, the past, we were told that we need to deworm those deworm, use those um, approximately every eight weeks and rotate. But the important thing I think, and I'm gonna share the results of the study with you, 
is finding out what is working on your farm because it might be relatively shocking to you to find out what, what's working. And one of the biggest issues is as we find out more and more that these products aren't working, we're relying on just one or two products now, setting up resistance to those products as well. Um, I wanna share just a concept with you that um, I think is really, really important, maybe a little difficult to understand at first, but it's so important. And that's why it is so critical not to go through and deworm all the horses on your farm at one time. Obviously that's the easy thing to do, might make you feel better, grab that tube of dewormer and deworm every single horse on your farm and then your job is done. But it's become very critical not to do that. And very briefly, this is why. Let's say you have five horses on your farm and you decide that you're going to deworm all of those five horses with the same product at the same time. What you don't know is, do any of those horses have parasites that are resistant to that product? If none of your horses have a problem, if none of your horses have parasites that have resistance to that product, okay, you dewormed all your horses, there's no issue. All the parasite eggs, have, um, all the parasites have been destroyed. Your shedding has been reduced, you're okay. But you don't know if resistance has occurred. The only way you can get resistance is that the parasite has been exposed to that product. So let's say in good old Fred, he's got resistant parasites, but you don't know that. You have no idea. All right, so you go through and you deworm every horse on the farm, All right, Fred has resistant parasites. All those eggs from those resistant parasites are now in your pasture and will develop into parasites that have resistance to that product. That's an important concept, Donna, because most people, when they think it's time to deworm their horse because they have this schedule they've made up in their minds, they'll go buy a product and not know whether that chemical is very effective or not, but they'll go to bed that night thinking that their horses are parasite-free for the next eight or 10 weeks. Yep. But what happens when you use different dewormers, you've, let's say no, any, any dewormer, none of them are 100% effective. So if you give chemical A and you kill 98% of the worms in that horse, there's still 2% left that have seen that chemical and survived. Those are the ones that are passing the eggs that are reinfecting horses because those are the eggs that are hitting the ground that the horses will pick back up when they're grazing. Now you give it chemical B, it kills 94% of the parasites. Now you have 6% of those parasites that have seen two different chemicals and still survived. So you've got more resistant species that are left over and those are the ones that are passing those eggs that are reinfecting the horses. So by rotating frequently, and, th and this concept of rotation was very commonplace. That was mainstream deworming 101 40, 50 years ago. But even way back in the dark ages when I was in vet school, our parasitology professor was starting to question the, the benefit of that and saying, if you're going to deworm, you might use a very slow, if you're going to rotate yes. your dewormers, to use a very slow rotation, like use one chemical, if it's effective on your farm, for up to two years, and then maybe try another one if it's effective. 
but again, the point that Donna made, which was excellent, is that you don't know if it's effective unless you do a fecal egg count. That's what I, I see some people starting to move towards fecal egg counts, but they don't do the second part. They don't tend to want to come back after they deworm the horse and see if the product was actually working. Right. And that's just a waste of money if you're using a product that isn't effective. And it's also important to keep genetic material. These, these parasites, just like all living things, have genetic material. They have genes. So I went from being afraid to not deworm all my horses. I wanted them free of parasites to now saying, ah, that's a low shedder. That horse only is shedding 100 eggs per gram. And you know what? I'm glad those eggs are going out in my pasture because they haven't been exposed to any kind of dewormer this, this particular year. So I've got a better chance of having parasites in my pasture that can be killed by a dewormer rather than having totally resistant parasites in my pastures. So it's an important concept. Yep, that's absolutely correct. And so I tell my clients to, to remember the 80-20 rule. 20% of the horses that you own are shedding 80% of the eggs in your pasture. So we need to get to a more targeted deworming program where just those high shedders are being targeted to reduce their burdens. Um, and that, that's a fairly new concept. I mean, maybe in the last 10 years or so, uh, most of your equine magazines and seminars are starting to stress the importance of not treating every horse the same. Yeah, Dr. Q, being a veterinarian, maybe you can respond to this. Our consultant was from Kentucky, he was a veterinarian, and he told us that we need to change our mindset that all parasites are bad, that small strong giles are nowhere near the um, as dangerous as the large strong giles were that caused impaction colics and could kill mm -hmm. animals. And that small strong giles leaving some in your horse actually boosts the horse's immune system and actually has, can actually improve the horse's overall health. I, I agree with that 100% because we've seen that through studies that, that horses <clears throat> quite often develop their own internal resistance to parasites and don't ever develop a high parasite burden, even in the midst of a, a highly infected pasture, because their body has been given the time with a low population of parasites to develop that, that natural resistance. And, and that's the best thing we can account, uh, we could hope for. I mean, we look at wild horse herds, um, nobody's deworming them and yet they're pretty darn healthy. And yes, they do have parasites. In America, we like to think, you know, worms are icky, worms are awful, we need to kill them all. Well, first, we can't kill them all. Second, we don't need to kill them all. And third, we really shouldn't try to kill them all because that's how we've ended up with resistance to all the chemicals that are on the market. And we have not had a new chemical, a new dewormer come down the pipe in decades. So if we start developing lots of resistance to the couple dewormers that are still effective, we'll really be in trouble. As a matter of fact, in Europe, they took dewormers off the over-the-counter market several years ago because they wanted to prevent what they saw happening, which was the resistance was increasing because people can go down to a tractor supply store or any feed store and pick up a tube of dewormer that's on sale for three or four bucks or less and use it, but they have no idea what the chemical is. They have no idea if their horse has parasites and if it has parasites, which ones? And are those parasites gonna be effectively reduced by the dewormer they just bought? 
So there's really a lot more science that needs to go into our um, our methods. And I would say that veterinarians as a whole, I don't want to knock the industry, but I think we have as a group done a very poor job of educating our clients. Um, uh, it's, it's not about the money because uh, believe me, I buy dewormer for the same price that the average person does. We don't get a break on it. And uh, so it's not a really big profit source for us, but it is really important to educate our clients on uh, more advanced deworming methods. I, I just want to take a couple minutes and share one farm because you made me think about this when you talked about wild horses. And the nice part is when you're using microscopes and have your hands in manure for four hours, you get to know your farm partners like really, really well. So we had an interesting farm and they had a lot of high shedders on this farm. It was a big farm. And uh, we dewormed all the high shedders with Strongia to see if that worked on the farm. And you usually have resistance on a farmer, you don't. So about, I guess it was eight of the horses, um, the product didn't work on. Uh, it, they had total resistance in these eight horses uh, when we dewormed them. Six of the horses though, it worked great. It totally eliminated egg shedding. You don't usually find that, that's odd to have approximately 50% of the horses, the product works, 50%, it doesn't work at all. So we got talking to the people and it turns out the horses that the product was affected on had just come to that farm and they came from the Midwest where they were living out on the prairies, they never were dewormed. The parasites were never exposed to any kind of dewormer. So everything worked on those horses because the parasites hadn't been exposed. So we found that pretty interesting and it kind of hit home how, how important it is to determine um, which products are gonna work and to try to reduce the use of products and, and eliminate, reduce uh, the amount of resistance. That's a really interesting finding. Um, and it really drives home the point that until you do a fecal egg count reduction test, which is typically done 10 to 14 days after you've given a dewormer, you really don't know if that dewormer is working or not. Right, that's true. Yep. So the other interesting piece of information that we found is we started to look at ways that people could reduce uh, parasite exposure to horses other and, and, and minimize the effects of, the, of the, um, the parasites, reduce their numbers other than just using chemical dewormers. And a couple of things to think in mind, and you already know this if you have horses, where they put their manure in their pastures, they don't like to graze. So anything you can do to keep them from grazing around the manure um, it helps a little bit. Rotating pastures, uh, make your pastures better, keep your pastures clipped, keep them fertilized, anything you can do. But it, it's a difficult situation. These parasites don't have legs. They don't walk around a pasture. But what they do is wait for the rain to flush them down below the area where they're putting the manure. Well, that's really smart on their part because that's also where all the nutrients from the manure is going. That's where the grass is the best that's where your horses want to graze, that's where they're going to pick up most of the parasites. Mm -hmm. And we did find that the people that we could not help figure out which dewormers were working on the farm were those people that picked manure out of their pastures. A hundred percent of the people that picked manure out of their pastures had horses that were low shedders and we couldn't give them any products to use. It was amazing what a difference that made 
just picking manure out of the pastures because the parasites simply didn't get out into the areas where the, the horses were grazing. Yeah, and if only we could all have those pasture vacuums. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> it become, on, a, on a small farm, that's a very doable method. Um, on the bigger farms, it's, it's near impossible unless you've got really deep pockets and can buy the expensive equipment that suck those horse piles out of the, uh, out of the uh, grasses. I do, uh, even though I've, I've got about 20 or 30 acres of pasture, um, I do try to move uh, piles that maybe horses have dropped in some of the good grass. I will go out with a pitchfork and take those piles and throw them over into the roughs where all the other piles are to, again, try to decrease the amount of parasites that are on the better parts of the pasture that they tend to graze off of. Um, we also were always taught that we should harrow the uh, pastures and break up the piles so the sun could dry them out. And we know that's probably not a really good idea now because it does spread those parasites around quite a bit. Um, Ascarid eggs, the roundworm eggs, are almost indestructible. They're eternal. Once you have them on your farm, they don't dry out in the hot weather. They don't freeze in the cold weather. They can live for years on the walls of your stalls and in the ground. So it's when you do end up, if you ever do end up with a roundworm problem on your farm, um, you may have those eggs for a long time and always have to watch, especially in your uh, younger horses. They may need a little more frequent deworming. And you may have to deworm for roundworms with one product and wait a while and come back and deworm with a different product that will get strongyle eggs because the products that kill strongyle eggs fairly effectively won't kill roundworms. And the product that kills roundworms doesn't necessarily get strongyles, and neither of them will get tapeworms. So we're learning that it's that we've had these one-size-fits-all programs on many farms. They use this chemical at this time of year and that chemical on another time of year, or maybe they use the same thing twice a year. And that's great, but not every parasite will respond to any given dewormer. So again, the importance of running a fecal to know what type of worms you have is really critical. Absolutely. Um, interesting fact that I just learned recently. Um, I think we talked about large strongyles were very important and, and pretty deadly uh, many, many years ago. We don't see large strongyles very often, but when we do a fecal egg count, there are actually over 50 different species of small strongyles or strongyles in general that produce the same type of egg. So your fecal egg count can't tell you exactly what type of parasite you have. And some reasons that there might be discrepancies in your egg counts, um, for instance, if all the parasites in your horse were female, they may not be passing eggs at all. Um, horses that have heavily parasitized intestines with certain types of strongyles, if there's a lot of females, they kind of restrict each other from passing lots of eggs. So you could have lots and lots of female strongyles in your horse and have a fairly low fecal egg count because each female is only passing a limited number of eggs. And conversely, you could have a small number of strongyles that are female and they will pass thousands of eggs. So it's not 
yet an exact science. Um, and there are lots of different types of fecals that can be run. The most uh, exacting are, are the fecals that actually do a total egg count on a gram of feces. Some vets will just do a fecal flotation in the office and it'll give you a general picture of whether there's lots and lots and lots of strongyles in that couple little drops that you put under the microscope or just a very few. But your, your best ones are the uh, McMasters and the Wisconsin uh, egg counts that are um, obviously a little more expensive and usually sent to an outside lab rather than having your veterinarian do them in-house. Uh, but they will give you a much better, uh, much more accurate idea of what the actual worm burden in any given horse is. Yeah, and I think I think you said this, Dr. Q, but it maybe bears repeating that when you're using fecal egg counts, um, this was for our adult horse population. Foals are a whole different story. They need to be treated maybe as high shedders. They need to be checked more often um, because they're, they don't have the immunity that the older horses have. So this is basically a program that we use for our adult horses. Yes, I, because I do a lot of breeding at my clinic and have the babies, um, I have the advantage of being able to go out and get a fecal egg sample at any given time. I had one mare uh, a few years ago, and I test every horse that comes on my property uh, before I turn them out in my pastures. They get a fecal egg count, and if it's high, they get dewormed before I put them out in my pastures. Well, I had a mare that was kind of a notorious high shedder. And I had given her some ivermectin when she came because she was loaded every year when she came. And later that year, I ran another fecal and I actually found a couple of roundworm eggs in this mm -hmm. adult mare. And I have had roundworm eggs in the babies on this farm ever since. So I know because it takes about um, 10 to 12 weeks for ascarids to mature. Once these babies hit three to four months, I start taking fecals on them and deworming them for roundworms because those are much more problematic in the young horses than even the strongyles or threadworms. So they, they are targeted for ascarid uh, deworming. And if they also have a lot of strongyles, I'll come back and give them something like one of the avermectins, ivermectin or moxidectin, a couple of weeks afterwards. Um, the last thing I want to do is send a baby back home while it's shedding roundworms, because then that farm will have the problem also. So that's that's my 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 biggest concern with the young horses on the farm here. And that's a good point too. We move horses around so much today. We move them from state to state, from country to country, and these small strongyles can insist and be carried long distances to another farm. So even though you're isolated, if you have new horses coming to the farm, you can have parasites coming with those horses. So I, I'm, I didn't want to scare you guys, but I think it's something we really, really do need to be concerned with. We have not many products left that will work on our horses. We certainly don't want to overuse those products or we're going to be in serious trouble. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why I, I really stress education to my clients that there is no correct deworming schedule for any horse or any farm. They're all individuals. You might have 17 horses and they're all low shedders, like those ones that came from the Midwest that Donna mentioned, or you might have almost all of your horses are high shedders because you've been using a product that you think is getting rid of the parasites 
and it really hasn't touched the, the population at all. So again, it, it gets down to not doing it by guess or by golly, not doing it by what my daddy and granddaddy did, not doing it by what the feed store person recommended, but by becoming a little more scientific in how we diagnose and treat the parasite problems. We can't kill them all, we don't need to kill them all, but we need to worm more effectively in a targeted fashion as opposed to treating every individual the same. And I think it involves a mindset change a little bit. I saw that in our farm partners where in the beginning, the first time they had even a moderate cheddar, the first thing they wanted to do is by golly, go home and deworm that horse. And by the time the project was over, they were like, ah, the horse is only a load of moderate cheddar. I'm just gonna let it go. It's healthy, it's happy. I don't need to, to expose any parasites to a product that I may need in the future. So I think it involves a mindset change too a little bit. Yeah, and that's why I really applaud what they did in Europe by removing dewormers yes. from over the counter because very, very few people actually understand parasite life cycle, how long in between dewormings can I go, um, which chemical should I use? We've, we've really not been able to educate the general population very well on uh, how to do what now is becoming more of a standard. Um, I do see more people running fecals, but again, we still need to do those fecal egg count reduction tests after the dewormer and uh, recommend dewormers that are still effective because we have very few that actually still work on strongyles. And I think we found also, just when you think you have a handle on things, the parasites pull a fast one. Yeah, <laughs> we, found, we, do. we found that uh, we had to be really careful when we even did our fecal egg counts. It's different in Northern Pennsylvania than in Southern Pennsylvania. We had a farm with high shedders and they wanted to save those horses. They wanted to teach the 4-H kids to do fecal egg counts. So we didn't deworm the horses. It was like four weeks later, it was a big, 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 big farm. We went back and the high shedders, they weren't high shedders anymore. So <laughs> they don't consistently shed eggs just when you think you got a handle on things. Right. Um, and again, but, by leaving by by yep. leaving a few parasites in the environment, these horses often will develop some resistance. But yep. I think one of the, one of the favorite um, quotes I've seen is by Martin Nielsen, who said the most expensive dewormer is the one that doesn't work. <laughs> he I got it. He was our um consultant for this whole project and he is a hoot he was yeah. always telling us it's not as easy as you think it's going to be you want everything to be exactly the way you want it to be and it's not parasites change everything changes but it's it's uh i i think this is just so important that i hope everybody that's listening takes it to heart and starts worming on an individual basis only when you need it so yeah, this was really fun, Don. I hope we get to do, maybe we can do a, a follow-up with some more specific deworming programs yes. or yep. uh, even on other topics or more pasture management. That'd be great. So let me just share one last thing, the results of the Penn State study, because that was a little bit, um, that was surprising to me as well. So we had, uh, we had 74 farms actually participate in the research part of the study. We had 99 people participate in the program, but wow. not everybody had high shedders. So we couldn't, we couldn't help them figure out which dewormers were working because their horses were not shedding a lot, large enough number of eggs. And they stayed. I thought, who is gonna do this? Who in the world is gonna bring little baggies full of manure constantly throughout the summer, check their horses manure for small strong aisles, and then deworm them and come back again. But they did. 
Um, they all stuck with it. We had 74 farms that had high shedders that we could test different products on. Um, those farms had 711 horses, so we had a good random sample throughout Pennsylvania. It was 29 counties. We covered Pittsburgh right on out, out to uh, Northampton County, Bucks County, so the whole state was covered. And what we found in our study was when we looked at um, pyrantol, 76% of the farm had total resistance. It didn't work anymore. That was a shock to me. I did not anticipate that. And that happened, if you look at national averages, um, that's much higher than the national average was, but the national average has changed relatively quickly as well. When we talked about fenbendazole, um, Panicure, 95% of the farm Panicure was ineffective. So it wasn't a, a dewormer that um, is going to work very well in the small strongyles, which was also pretty, pretty effective, um, ineffective. Uh, we found also that this really increased people's confidence level. When we asked them about the results of the study, um, they, they felt very confident in what they were doing because they had done the fecal egg count themselves, they understood it, um, and it made sense to them. And most of them were willing to reduce the number of dewormers based on what they found. In fact, we found that the um, that we looked at 53 programs for horse owners they dewormed those horses prior to the study 1,992 times, almost 2,000 times wow. those horses were dewormed. After the study, it was reduced to 727. So that's a significant reduction in dewormer used and the number of parasites that are exposed to dewormer. So I just can't say enough. I'm so proud of the people that took part in it. It was exciting. It was fun getting to know them. I still talk to some of them on occasion. So it was, it was a good study. So I encourage you to work with your veterinarian, see if they have a microscope, do your own fecal egg counts. If they do fecal egg counts, make sure that you ask them questions and you understand how to set up a deworming program for your specific farm. And in the long run, what could be better than having healthier horses and saving money at the same time? Absolutely. And it's would amazing what you can find a manure. It's like, yeah. it was fun because we'd be sitting there and somebody would say, what are these things? And they'd be seeds from the horse eating seeds. And it's like, right. how come this is so dark? How come this one has so much fiber in it? When was the last time you had that horse's teeth done? <laughs> yeah, I think I told you I was filling in at a small animal <laughs> clinic one day and every single puppy poop sample, the technician said, it's got roundworms, it's got roundworms, it's got roundworms. And I finally looked and it was air bubbles that she was counting. As oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of people counting those in strongyle eggs, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God, there's 5,000 of these. No, they're air bubbles. Yeah. I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about how we did this with the Penn State Project. So you have an idea of how uncomplicated it really is. So like I said, we supplied the microscopes um, for people to use. We have people that attended the short course and have participated as farm partners that have since purchased their own microscope. It, it didn't cost them that much money when they looked at the savings that they incurred because they weren't purchasing dewormers and that and the increased health in their horses. So what we would do is we would ask everybody to label the bags, collect fresh manure samples. Dr. Q is going to talk about that. And then there's a vial that you can purchase online and the vial is calibrated and it's calibrated so that you put just the right amount of manure in. You fill the vial with concentrated sugar 
solution, which you also purchase online, and that's a flotation solution. So what it does is take the eggs and floats them to the surface of the vial. We let that sit for a while, and then you pour that through cheesecloth. So what you're really getting is the eggs are small enough they can get through the cheesecloth. The solution will get through the cheesecloth, the manure will not. You then pie, you let it stand, because again, you want the eggs, that's what you're looking for. You pipette off the liquid, and there's something called a McMaster slide. And you simply fill that McMaster slide with the solution, and it's, it's got a calibrated grid. You put that under the microscope, and it has lines that go horizontal and vertical. And you count, you, you count two of these grids, and together, they will determine what your small strongyle egg count is. And that's, that's all it really takes. Once you get good at it, it might take about 15 minutes to do a fecal egg count. But it's, it's well worth the time and effort. You become very familiar with your horse's manure. Um, you become very aware of what the egg count is and can develop an individual program for your farm and for your individual horses. Yeah, that doesn't sound too hard for the average person to master. Nope. So um, as far as submitting or bringing in a good sample, a couple of things that I want to stress is number one, you really have to know for sure which horse passed that poop. We have a lot of clients that will go out in the pasture and just pick up some manure and bring it in. But as those of you who have listened to the podcast now know, it could be wildly different results depending on which horse that manure came from. So you really do need to separate the horse, whether in a stall or a shed or a, or a pen, and make sure that you're getting manure from specific horses. You want it to ideally be something that's been freshly produced in the last 12 hours. So if you have a horse in your stall overnight, any of those samples in the morning would be a good one. I like to tell my clients to take a little pinch from four or five different uh, fecal balls. So they get a kind of a representative sample and then store the eggs in a bag, an airtight bag. Um, the eggs will hatch if they are exposed to air. So if you put them in a baggie, you're going to not let those eggs hatch before you get them tested. Um, eggs can hatch as quickly as in one day. So again, if it's a hot summer day and you collect a sample, you can't get it down to your vet or to take it to get tested, um, you can put it in the refrigerator. You can keep a sample in the refrigerator for up to five days uh, with, and that will prevent those eggs from hatching. Because once they hatch, we can't see them. Occasionally I'll find actual larvae, the things that hatch out of the egg, you'll see these little things moving back and forth, but it's, you've lost a lot of the accuracy in your egg count uh, when you use something like the McMaster technique. So proper collection and storage and getting those samples to the, to the testing center quickly is, is paramount to getting accurate results that you can use to make decisions on your deworming program with. I would like to thank Donna and Dr. Q for taking time to talk about equine parasites and to also thank you for listening. Visit paglc.org for helpful resources including additional Grazer's Grapevine episodes.